2: Good morning. It is Monday, July 6th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I hope everybody had a wonderful holiday weekend. I'm actually still taking a little bit of vacation time, but that does not mean that the College Football Daily is going dark. In fact, chosen a few of my favorite interviews that the 24-7 sports team has done the last few months as part of our social distance series. And today is one heck of an interview by Josh Pate, who we've had on the podcast recently, and... Somebody named Urban Meyer, if you've ever heard of him. Yeah, this is a really good one with Josh and, and Urban. They're going to talk about the, the Michigan rivalry. They're going to talk about what Urban Meyer thinks about how Ryan Day is doing. They're going to talk about looking at recruiting rankings and how coaches actually do, do that. They're also going to talk about Urban's time at Florida, which is – I I, th- I thought this was a really revealing part of the interview. Urban's going to mention, look, like we stopped – enjoying and appreciating winning. And that's when the job got miserable. And I I just think that's really candid uh, discussion. So this was a cool interview. Uh, If if you're interested in watching more from the 24-7 Sports Social Distance team, uh, we've included the YouTube playlist in the show notes. But for now, enjoy uh, a conversation between one of the best interviewers in, in the sport and Josh Pate. And I, I did, yeah, Josh, if you're listening. Yeah, that's quite the compliment by me. And of course, one of the greatest college football coaches of all time.
1: Josh Pate here from twenty four seven sports. Welcome in a guy who wears many hats, actually. He's three time national champion, but coach, you're also a husband, you're a father. You got an administrative role at Ohio State. You're a college football analyst now. How are people even introducing you when you do speaking engagements these days? You got a lot of different titles. I think one of the coolest titles I have now is grandfather. So
0: yeah. it's, uh, I've always been, you know, heard about uh, the grandchildren and how they impact your life. Got two wonderful boys, and uh, so a lot of different hats. But still, I go by coach.
1: I'm comfortable with that. So, coach, let me ask you: as a coach, you um, you're obviously looking around at everything that's happening right now. I think you, obviously, any kind of leader has a unique perspective on this. Most people are worried about maybe themselves. Most people are worried about maybe family, but. If you're a CEO, if you're a head coach, if you're a leader of an organization, how does that change your perspective in a time where you're dealing with something you're as uncomfortable with as everyone else is?
0: Well there, it's much different, but the only time that I reflected on and actually have talked to people about this was on the 9-11. and that was uh, in two thousand and one. It was actually I was thirty six years old, first time head coach. We started the season and Bowling Green was a really you know really struggle. We we're like three and zero. The first time in many, many years, and uh, we're getting ready to go play South Carolina, and sure enough the those planes hit that building and and I can speak on behalf of being a parent and a coach, the only thing you think about until it gets stabilized is the health and well-being of your, your people you're in charge of. It, it's at times overwhelming. you know one of the things I had the biggest conflict of you know that people are wanting to play that game and I remember on Thursday and I had a couple calls from families. Same Coach, are you really going to put my kid on that plane? And, I mean, you talk about grabbing it, that That's a decision that I, I'm not equipped to make. You know, I, I got down on a knee, and you start praying, and you start seeking counsel. Like, are you really going to put those people on a plane, you know, people that you care about and that you're entrusted to? So it's a little bit same with this issue here. Are you really going to let people return to work? And, and our government officials and the governor of Ohio and, you know, the ADs and presidents are going to make these decisions. Are you really going to, you know, there's a chance you're putting people in harm's way. Yeah. We all know that we have to get going. This country, it, it has to get moving, or it's even going to be more tragic. So there there's tough decisions out there, but the number one thing is health and well, well-being of people.
1: Let me ask you this, kind of switching gears back to whether it's Ohio State, whether it's Florida, these are places, Utah, these are places where, You walk in and in not too long a time, you have really, really big success from a results-oriented standpoint. And everyone's looking and you got all the attention. And I've I've actually listened to your Focus Three podcast for quite a while with Tim Kite. Really big fan of it. And one thing that caught my ear on one of these drives back and forth from Tennessee to Georgia I make recently is you guys talked about the difference in building towards versus sustaining success once you get there and how it changes the mentality and how you have to sort of rewire things could you explain that go by a little bit more in depth about getting to a mountaintop versus staying in there when everyone else is trying to climb so lou, lou holtz hired
0: me in in 1996 at notre dame you know, it was near as the end of his career and obviously had a great run at notre dame and and even when he hired me he says you know i'm not going to be here that much longer i do still want to come be a coach and of course i was going to come and i remember he retired uh right before we played Pitt in uh, 2000, and, uh, or excuse me, 1986, yeah, 19, 1996. And I remember talking to him then and after, and one day we're walking over the week we're gonna play Southern Cal, and he said, you know, it's exhausting, sustaining. And I was so young, I had no idea what he was talking about. And he says, it takes energy, passion, focus uh, to build, climb the mountain, but once you're at the top of the mountain, it's it's exhausting, because obviously expectation levels are." really at times unrealistic, yet it's the way it is. And so I, I experienced it a couple of times. You know, you reach the top of the mountain, and as Mac Brown and I used to say to each other, I got good news and bad news. Good news is you won a national title. Bad news is you won a national title. Yeah. And then final story about that is Joe Madden, a very good friend of mine who's a coach of the Cubs. He won the world championship, the Cubs, who haven't won one in a long time. Uh, I'm sitting in, a, in his office during a rain delay, in chicago and we're talking about he did actual study about how hard it is to repeat you know if you're talking about the major sports how it's i mean you almost put the tag impossible to, to repeat and why is that because everyone changes you know sustain that's why you got to respect i think coach davin's done as good a job as any They have sustained success he doesn't want it every year but they're right there so um big difference about building and and versus sustaining.
1: Um, I do a show here and sometimes I talk about something loosely related to that. I refer to them as the consequences of success and it's the more that you're able to be close to college football, talk to people like yourself, talk to very successful coaches and even players, they'll tell you stories about dealing with things after they've achieved at a high level that were never a problem when they were eight and four, seven and five, six and six. And I think it's one of the least talked about and least understood things, consequences of having success. But yet I've heard you talk about it a lot. You just talked about it right now. How do you actually get people ready ahead of time knowing it's coming?
0: Well, I, I, I really worked on that in, when I came to Ohio state, I, I would say that I did not do a good job with that in Florida. The consequences of winning became unhelpful. It became, uh, I remember Joe Kim Noah, the great forward, or the play for Billy Donovan. And Coach Donovan won it in 06. And I remember 07, then we won it in 06. And Billy, one of my dear friends, I was in the locker room all the time. He was in our locker room. And, and I got to know his players very well. And they beat a team by, I want to say, a dozen points. And he laid into them after the game. I'm standing right there. And Joe Kim Noah walks by me and throws like his jersey or something. And, smacks the wall, looks right at me, he goes, you know, it used to be fun to win around here. And I remember I had the same issue. And then I worked really, really hard, focused on that, that once we started the run at Ohio State, we won that national title, I was not gonna allow uh, to take the way that, you know, the expected, I had, uh, I remember starting seasons where I'd have media members ask me say, coach, how does it feel that, unless you go undefeated, and win the national title, you failed. And obviously, just the way I am, that eats me alive, because you know what, I kind of agree with it. But I don't, and I, who cares about the coach? I care about those young people. They have a small window of time to enjoy great success. So I worked really hard. I don't know how good I did at it, but I worked hard at it to make sure that we never lost the thrill of victory.
1: I want to talk to you about Ryan Day. Uh, This is a guy, obviously, you're very close to now. He coached under you. First thing I want to ask is when he was coming up and when you observed him day to day, was there ever a point, was there a moment where you looked and said, that guy's a future head coach. I mean, this isn't just a a position coach or coordinator. This guy's got high-level head coach potential. And if so, what were those markers that indicated that to you?
0: Well, it became very clear to me that uh ryan had those skills that was he was not going to be with us very long and then i remember about the same time or a couple years before bob stoops uh, stepped away and lincoln riley became the head coach and that's every coach's dream every you know especially when you're successful and when, when you think it's time you know the worst thing that can happen is you leave and then some someone new comes in and, and the new coach is allowed to do whatever they want and people, and I, I realize as, as much as anyone, that our success, maybe success that I had, was a result of incredible people that I'm surrounded with. You're talking about recruiting, weight room, academics, and the whole infrastructure. And to see those people lose their jobs, that they did a good job, that, that really is hard to deal with. And at Florida, that happened. You know, we had great success and, and a, a really good coach came in, but you know, he's allowed to do what he wants to do. I saw him taking signs off the wall and all these things that I believed in and our staff believed in, and, you know, it it just changed. And I remember when uh, I saw Ryan Day, I saw him work, there were a couple, like you used to call them, markers. First of all, the way he handles the staff room, his genuine care, which I think is the most important thing for a coach, his genuine care for the player, not just football, but his genuine deep care, his recruiting ability, and Ohio State's a very unique place, is appreciation for what it is. You know, Ohio State, it's a great job, but it's also a very, very hard job. You lose one game, and like I said, you get, especially that one game up north, you better appreciate what Ohio State stands for.
1: I want to talk to you a little bit, since you just brought it up, about what that game against, I can, I'm allowed to say Michigan, you not necessarily, but a 7-0 and record against Michigan we can talk about right out here in the open because – It's there, it's documented, no one can deny it. There are people within your profession that take different approaches maybe to games. Fans and media build up rivalry games, but they believe in just nameless, faceless opponent. But yet I've heard you talk about Michigan and there's a razor sharp focus on Michigan. 24-7, 365, you had days of the week in practice where it's just focused on drills with Michigan, strength training, drills with Michigan. That was your approach. I think it yielded very good results how intense for someone that's never been inside it is the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry? Uh, it's, I,
0: I don't know if I can say the word car- comparable. Or it, I don't believe it is, you know, I, I think, uh, and I'm very biased because I grew up in it. I, uh, I lived it, I experienced it. I remember going to school and I just, you know, that's when I saw some players from Ohio go to the school up north. I mean, seriously, you'd get beat up at school if you you know it it was that intense but I always always follow that up with the respect factor was over the top you had Bo Schembechler you had Woody Hayes you had a, a a mentor mentee you had a guy from Ohio that went into a, a great school a great program and beating as a rookie head coach when they were coming off a national championship year so I mean the storyline is unbelievable so I just have always done that. I've done, uh, from the first day I became head coach at Bowling Green, we called Toledo, the team up north. We uh, did it at Utah with a team down south. We did it and I, you know, I, you have fun with it, but I, we really didn't treat it as silly. And I, that was my advice to all the coaches that maybe followed me is that, you know, have fun with it, but make, right. make sure that there's, there's nothing silly about this. And that's why when I see players from either program and, and I will, if I ever have any say, I'll never allow a player or a coach to say something derogatory about that team. I mean, I just, that's not how you show respect for someone. You show respect for someone by working your tail off to go beat them. I'll
1: tell you from an outsider's perspective, uh, I was living in another Columbus, Columbus, Georgia at the time. Your retirement, the news of it comes down. And in and of itself, there's shockwaves sent out. But I remember what the perception was within that rivalry and within the Big Ten and within the landscape of college football. People not knowing any better say, Urban Myers leaving Ohio State. My goodness, it's open season now. And it's finally Michigan's time to make a move. And hey, let, let's let's prey on that recruiting class. And here we are, uh, Ohio State's continued to dominate. And now I want to specifically talk about, they're in the process of putting together a historic recruiting class. Everything they're doing is clicking. Everything they're doing is working. There was never any vulnerability. You guys knew you had the right man to step in, but. From a recruiting standpoint, I'm interested, have you followed that class? And if so, how impressive is what they're doing right now?
0: Oh, of course I followed it. And uh, Ryan Bay is elite. He's got a really elite recruiting staff, too. You know, he, first of all, Mark Pantone is the best in the business what he does. He he is that good. No, that's no disrespect to Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. Those are the upper schools. Penn State and the team up north are right there. But it's just the, the separation is really starting to grow. and the quality of player that Ohio State is recruiting is phenomenal. This is it's a legendary class. Uh, yeah, I, I follow them very closely. And you just have to give great credit. The credit goes to the head coach, but it also goes to an incredible support staff. And also you have to give credit to Gene Smith. When you walk into the facility of Woody Hayes, uh, maybe it's not as new as a Clemson and, and an LSU, but you have everything you need. And the one thing that I think was a difference maker that we started eight years ago was something called Real Life Wednesdays. And Real Life Wednesdays is the focus on life after sport that has even exceeded the vision that we had when we started it. You know, you have such a built-in advantage because you have Columbus, Ohio, Fortune 500s. It's not some small college town where it's hard to get experience. You have all the experience you need right there in Columbus.
2: The College Football Daily will be right back.
0: As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, pick six is a must listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app and anywhere podcasts are found.
1: I'm I've always been interested in this, Coach. I've been interested in in my line of work. I work at 24-7 Sports. I'm not on the recruiting rankings council, but yet I observe the process and how meticulous they try and be and how thorough they try and be. And you'll get coaches on the record and they'll tell you, I don't pay attention to recruiting rankings whatsoever. But then I'll talk to them off the record, I'll hear them off the record, and they're perfectly aware of where they're rated, they're perfectly aware of how many stars their signees have. I'm certainly not asking you if you use that in lieu of your own evaluations, but from maybe a curiosity standpoint, when you were a coach, Ohio State, Florida, Utah, et cetera, Bowling Green, were you aware of where your players were rated and were you kind of aware of how that recruiting ranking hierarchy was standing?
0: I don't want to speak for other coaches, but if they're telling you they're not paying attention, I, I would say they're probably not telling the truth. You know, I – of course now, I would always study that. As a matter of fact, every day, and I went to your site, 247 Sport, and it said class rankings, and I would hit that. And I always knew exactly who the rival was recruiting and teams we were going to play. And, of course, it's not exact science. But you know what? You guys do a pretty good job. Is it exact? No, of course not. Joe Burrow wasn't highly ranked. and uh, I'm trying to think who else, Mike Thomas and um, you know some of these other players that became Darren Lee, I'm not sure he was ranked. So, of course not. But No, I think uh, recruiting has become big-time business. The fact that your fan base follows it, and the fact is you're keeping score. As I've always said many, many times, as long as we're keeping score, we're going to go try to win this thing. And we've tried to win recruiting, but you know, did we ever make a decision because you had a guy ranked higher than – or a service had a guy ranked higher than us, no. And I'd be shocked if a coach said we're going to take him because it will enhance our standings. However, I'll tell you this, I probably, over the years, i found a couple dozen players because I wasn't aware of them until I checked the recruiting sites. And I was like, wait a minute, who's this guy? And we jump in the middle of it, and, and sometimes we got him. And it was all because we didn't know, you know, just because one fell through the cracks somewhere, and we took a swing
1: out. There's something going on right now. Listen, I don't envy at all people who are in the position of having to lead programs because it feels like every year 20% of the rules in the sport turn over. So right now, we're sitting around and then all of a sudden, you hear new proposals about name and image likeness and whatnot. And I'm, I'm curious, not from the standpoint of the player, not from the standpoint of the fan, but as a head coach who's responsible for a program, how do you continue to be able to digest this stuff and make decisions as it feels like the ground is moving underneath you every offseason?
0: Well, I used to have a saying that college coaches, uh, they discipline, they love, and they uh, uh, develop people. At the NFL, you negotiate. You know, not all coaches do, but I, I used to visit camps all the time and You know, when you start talking about people making millions and millions of dollars and you report to an owner that's paying that guy millions and millions of dollars, you know, a lot of times there's negotiation involved in how many times a week you're going to practice, how many times a week, how many times a game you're going to get the ball, et cetera, et cetera. And I always felt like in college, that's, you know, that's not what this is about. Your job is to coach them, to discipline them, to develop them. And I just, you know. Do I think that this was coming down the road? I did. I mean, there's so much money. Coaches get paid a lot of money, and I see that, and we're not the ones that do the work. However, I'm just worried at times you're, you're fitting a square peg in a round hole about a, you know, I'm just trying to get my hands on this. If you're going to have to go sit with agents when you go recruiting a 17-year-old and start talking about shoot contracts and why did this player make this much money or having a meeting with the families and, and you're starting running backs getting, a, you know, $50,000. Name and likeness, but your starting right tackle is not. So do you have to try to help negotiate for that right tackle. And so I, I'm, I think it's a good time for me to be watching from this <laughs> uh, point of view and being knee deep in it.
1: Do you get the sense, especially with coaches who aren't thirty years old, some coaches who have some seasoning about them, as much passion as you may have for the game, is this the kind of stuff that if If someone had previously thought, I'm two, three, four years more here, and I've started to develop a plan for an exit, is this the kind of thing that potentially expedites someone leaving the game because they don't recognize the game anymore in a lot of ways? Oh,
0: i would actually had some conversation with some colleagues that this is, you know, if it changes drastically. Right now, the recruiting calendar is drastically different than it's ever been. You know, in the spring, you're having official visits the month of May and June. You know, you're you're offering players that are sophomores, and you know it's it's really is twenty four seven recruiting. And it takes you really away from your own team. It takes you a little bit away from your family. So yeah, I think the game's changed, but will it is it enough to knock people out of the game? You know, I I don't know. I I think that's you know a lot of people you know were worried about certain things, and then it ends up not being like Gene Smith was all said. We we've been worried about this, and it you know it's fine. Um so eventually it will get worked out. So I don't know if it's enough, but I've, I've, ironically, I've heard that it, some people are thinking about saying, you know what, I'm good. I don't need to be uh, being an agent to 17, 18-year-olds about signing shoe contracts or billboard contracts for name and likeness. i just, you know, don't. and the same thing with the transfer policy. You know, uh, there's part of me thinks that players should have a right to do that. There's other part of me that says, no, you know, is it really when you discipline a player for missing class, does he walk in or obviously I'm out? I'm going to go somewhere else, or they have a a drug issue, and you know I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave, you know. So it's 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 going to be different.
1: Coach, did you ever? Because you guys were involved in this conversation a couple of times at Ohio State. Did you ever have strong thoughts about what's best for the sport when it comes to playoff expansion and everyone throwing their ideas out there and? Maybe you're on the bubble one year, and you know expansion would have gotten you in. But then, on the other hand, you're asking long-term health of the sport. What's best for it? Did you ever have strong thoughts about that?
0: Well, sure. I was involved in dozens of meetings about that in Ohio State's one school that you know you could probably say deserved being it a couple times. Uh, what was it, 17 and 18? We had really good teams. Actually, 15 we had an excellent team, and you lost one game. And it's when you lost, how you lost, etc. Um, the fact that, you know, I, I've always been a proponent about equating scheduling. You know, and, you know, why would a team, you know, there's been teams never played on a road game. You know, there's teams that play fewer conference games. There's a team that just refuse to go play the hard games. Yet, we have to. And then you lose one. So, I, I think what's going to happen is you have to be very cautious about the student-athlete. And the student athlete calendar it's so easy to say let's expand this thing to eight teams then you start putting the puzzle together how's this puzzle going to work because a lot of these players they come to college to go play in the nfl right or wrong that's what happens and there's a, a time in in january where we have to declare if you're going to come back or go and you start keep extending this calendar with 85 scholarships you know do you really want to add two more games? And then what happens to the uh, you know, that finals week, et cetera? So the biggest issue is going to be the calendar
1: and actually the wear and tear on the student athlete. Coach, I really appreciate the time. I wanted to get one more in with you. I'm, I'm curious. You guys had some very fierce rivals, and when you're at the top of the sport like you've been for a while, maybe even personally and individually, you got big-time rivals. Since you've stepped away from coaching, are there guys that maybe you've been able to converse with that you wouldn't have conversed with when you were in the heat of battle because you thought there may be a chance you're going to play them either during the year or at the end of the year. What's the um, what's the interaction like now with your colleagues and peers versus what it would have been when you were a coach? Much less
0: intense. You know, I'm, I've always been uh, uh, I live in a cocoon, you know, and, and when I was younger, I was one of those guys that would travel all over the place and sit in meetings, try to learn as much as you can. And then what happens you have a little success and then you get fearful that other people are going to dive into your program and so, or take your coaches and all that. So very protective. Uh, the interaction has been just like I thought it would be. It's been great. You know, uh, I'm not seen as a threat and uh, I don't look at them as a threat. So it's been very good.
1: Coach Urban Meyer, it has been a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us this morning. Take care, stay safe, and I hope you guys are enjoying life in Florida. You guys do a
0: great job, man. Thanks.